Welcome, everyone. Welcome, everyone. How are we doing today? We have a fun one today. So I have a couple of topics here with you. I'll give you guys a little bit of a uh, a social media update as to what I'm trying to do from uh, a strategy standpoint, but just I guess it's a strategy. Social media is always changing. I just want to share things I do. Maybe you guys find it helpful because maybe you yourself are wanting to make some social media posts. So I just pass on the information with you there. Um, I'm also going to be talking about this TikTok that um, it's about programming specifically. I know you guys probably hear the word TikTok. And I go, oh, he's going to talk about a TikTok and a dance. No, someone had a post about programming and I found it to be interesting. I didn't agree with it, but I found it interesting because it's how I used to think about programming myself. And so I wanted to share how my thought process changed there. Um, and then if we have time, we're going to talk a little bit about skill acquisition stuff. But you friends of the show always know the sales pitch is coming your way. Seven-day free trial to the Always an Athlete team. You're more than welcome to join it. The Always an Athlete team is uh, at six days a week. It's an ongoing team. So it's not like the standalone program. Sometimes people go, oh, is it a six-week? Is it a four-week? You know, It's a lifelong program. It's a team. And basically, I program six days a week. And you can condense that down to four very easily. Um, Saturdays are typically extra volume days and Wednesdays are hybrid days, kind of depending on the phase we're in. Um, so we do upper body lifting and people love the upper body work we get in. We get powerful and explosive legs. We get strong legs, a lot of fun stuff. I think you'd like it. And if you don't like it, that's okay. Maybe you can just give it a try. It's a seven day free trial. All right, that's the whole deal. If you guys like it, stick around. So that's my pitch. It's on the Train Heroic app. I'll put in the show notes here. I remember to do that. I'm bad at that. I try to. I'm trying to do it now. <laughs> but uh, we'll just hop right in. So Instagram, social media, all this other stuff. It's an interest. It's, it's, it's tricky, man. I don't call it interesting. I don't really think it's that interesting. It's annoying. Um, when I first started in social media realm, I was like heavily written in Word. I would not Word like the, the you know, the, the Microsoft thing, but I'd type more blog based. And as I reminisce in those days, I like that actually a little bit more. I like writing. Um, thinking about writing a book right now, weirdly enough, as I say that out in the open, I shouldn't probably because it's not that far along. I don't want to disappoint anyone, but I thought about writing a book. It's crossed my mind. Um, but I like writing. I find it to be more enjoyable. But the bad thing about it is the current state of affairs on social media doesn't like it. They like a video. They like something immediately engaging. And... I guess that makes sense from whatever algorithm they're running and all that fun stuff. So I spent a while trying to figure out how I was going to fit into that mold because I had built a good following and my following is built on the archaic way of writing and typing out stuff um, versus posts. And so now I've been doing a lot more video posts, as you guys might know, sharing content, information, educational stuff. And one of the things I got really caught up in at the time was trying to preserve and grow my followers. You know, at a certain point in time, you get a lot of followers and you have no followers. So then you want followers and you get followers and you want more followers. But you're kind of like, well, what's the purpose of all this? And you're like, well, well I'm, gonna, I'm not a Kardashian. Uh, people don't follow me because I am uh, an entertainer or a social media star in the sense of what some people might be. They follow me because I provide some good information and maybe some people gravitate towards uh, my personality and they jo enjoy certain aspects of it but they typically like my information. Um, but with the nowadays, it seems like everyone can just siphon everything off people. What I mean by that is when you put uh, something written, um, it seems like because everything is so 
now, now, now social media. When we first started, we as like I'm talking to an audience of people on who were old time Instagram heads or whatever. <laughs> um, you would like it was harder to come by good information or it'd be you get called out if you just would copycat someone. But nowadays it's like the Wild West. It's just like do whatever you want kind of deal. So I think it's important to put your face on things. Um, it's important for people to see your work. They should know who you are. And there's a benefit to that. So I've been putting a lot more videos out on myself discussing stuff. Um, it's been weird. It's been hard because it's really difficult for me at times to talk to a camera. Part of why I made this podcast, because I was like, I don't want to challenge myself so if I can talk to a camera for you know X amount of time and get better at it. Um, and so that's been the plan. The plan is basically stop worrying about followers and growth. Don't make that the priority. Make that the outcome. Make that the symptom. Focus on good content. Because if you get a couple thousand likes on a video and it gets 50,000 views, that's awesome. You know, that's really cool. You get a thousand views. That's a thousand people who saw your stuff. Thousand people. You didn't do anything for that. It's a pretty wild concept. So those are some things I've been thinking about and I've been trying to do. So you might have noticed that in the social media realm. I'm going to probably, you know, keep chugging away at it and see how that goes. I was inspired by uh, the legend himself, Christian Thibodeau. You guys probably know who that is. T Nation legend. Um, so he started doing stuff like that. And I was like, well, I should really do more of this. And so I, I decided to. And that's the path I'm going. And I'm at least happier with the content I'm putting out. And because I did this for myself at the beginning, I might as well stay true to those roots and uh, make sure I enjoy the content as well. So that's a little pitch of mine. But I think it's really valuable to have your face on stuff. I think nowadays, having your face associated with the information you're putting out, your thoughts, your ideas. A lot of people demand and like video podcasts as well as audio. And so I, I think there is a really big, a large benefit to that. Um, so if you're going into that area, think about that. Consider it. What videos are you comfortable making and the value of having your face and having that recognition because people will stick with you because they know you, but probably just a page of a written blog. It'd be hard to actually identify who I was. And I think it gives you more versatile options. So just something to think about um, and something I've been working on. And it kind of segues nicely into the TikTok world because TikTok is demanding of that. And I was on a TikTok page, a person. I don't want to call the person out. I'm not interested in calling people out. That's not the point of this. But uh, they made a claim or something that they said, we do X exercise because uh, it stabilizes. It, it, I'll just break it down really quick. I don't want to try to give out. I'll try to sub out these exercises so you don't go find the person. I mean, I'm being too kind about it. I'll just share it anyway. And the guy wants to talk to me, I'll talk to him. So, yeah, he basically said, look, um, a couple of statements. We'll do the hip thrust. They do a hip thrust. And the hip thrust has been shown to not improve sprint speed, which not necessarily true, but it's okay. Um, I'll just say that's his belief he believes that the hip thrust does not improve sprint speed and that's based on his aggregation of information sure he's allowed to have a belief based on potentially contradictory studies believes the hip thrust does not improve the sprint speed but it improves your glutes and your hips and your hips are stabilizers and your hips are stabilizers which means it helps your squat and so if it helps your squat that's why we do it and everything is connected so like it's like saying look we don't hip thrust like we do a hip thrust and we know it's not going to make us more athletic, but it's going to help support this exercise that we think is going to make us more athletic because he goes, look, the squat's going to make you more athletic. It's associated with sprint speed and performance and all this other stuff. And I thought for a second, I was like, there's a couple of assumptions that have been made here. And it's interesting because I used to think the same way. 
Okay, I want a big squat. I'm going to do exercises to train my low back because I know my low back's going to be needed to support my squat. I'm going to do some hip exercises because that's going to help support my hips when I do heavy squats. I'm going to do some uh, accessory work to help my squat. What happens is, one, you made a massive assumption that the squat is magical. <laughs> so the squat somehow is going to be the highest corollary to anything for, for, for performance. And in doing such, you've listed out all the limiting factors of the squat, which innately points to the fact why the squat isn't that great in the first place. If I have to do all these other exercises to simply support the squat, is the squat really that good of an exercise? And the question is, well, there might be better. The question should be, are there better alternatives? And I would say yes, because if we can remove what are the good things of the squat? The benefits might be the lower body strengthening. I think that's all what we can agree. And if we're working on exercises that help stabilize the hip and help strengthen the low back so we can squat more, well, then the squat itself probably isn't a great hip stabilizer exercise because we have to do auxiliary work to help it in the movement. And it's probably not a great low back builder. It can be. Or whatever other builder because we had to do those accessories to help support it as well. Because the squat itself doesn't train those enough because it needs to be fed through accessory work to develop that, to support it. So the question is, if I'm doing all this accessory work, I'm spending energy just so I can squat more for a lower body movement because those limiting factors get in the way of my goals, can I remove those limiting factors through a different exercise and still get the same squat benefits? And my solution to that is a hand-supported Hatfield squat. You don't have the limitations on the low back because you can positionally get yourself in a nice upright spot and you have less demand on the hip stabilizer. So if you think about a back squat, you and you watch, watch an elite back squat or like those professional powerlifters, they have to be pinpoint on their accuracy. Why? Because if you think about the squat, you don't have any freedom of play of movement. You have your support base, which is your feet, left to right, your width. Your center mass, if you think about your center mass and you think about your body as they kind of, let's make a very simple one-figure, two-figure diagram. You have a ball as your whole center of mass, like you just like one big ball. You have to squat down and squat up. That ball has to travel a very precise line because anytime it deviates outside that line, you'll miss the squat. You'll fall over, you'll lose balance, you'll lose instability. Or you'll lose stability, create instability. So you see this time and time again, people... People apply so much effort into squatting. And the effort is designed to make sure the movement is skillfully done. And that's fine if you're a power lifter. But if I have my hand supported movement, I have more freedom of play. My mental effort is not strictly exerted on skill. It's exerted on trying to produce enough force to lift the weight through my legs. And so we remove the limiting factors because those limiting factors are not limiting factors in actual athletic performance. They're not like, oh, I'm working on, you know, uh, single leg hip stability doing a plyometric exercise because that's a movement pattern that occurs in sport. No, you're just doing it because it helps your squat. And so it's the process of erroneous assumptions. And the assumption that whole framework and structure is built through a powerlifting structure of mindset where the assumption is that you have to, you know, um, what's the right word for it? You have to 
break down and stratify your means and methods through a process that results in one exercise being the determinant outcome. So like if you think about it, you're now structuring your entire program around the linchpin of a single exercise being the significant variable. And this is a powerlifting derived idea because in powerlifting, you only have the three exercises. It reminds me of how I used to program because that's so true. And that's where I would do a lot of these accessory movements and extra additional movements because I would be thinking if my goal today is a squat day, like that's how I'd label my days even. Today's a squat day. Everything is centered around emphasizing, increasing the squat strength. But when you do that, you're making a huge assumption that there's going to be a one-to-one relationship with squat strength and lifting. I'm not saying the guy who said this said this anyway. He probably didn't. This is more reminded me more of what I used to do. And so that's why I pointed out his example because I was like, oh, that is exactly a framework that I used to heavily use and probably went further than maybe he does and how he uses it. And I used to make all these assumptions myself when I would program. And it's the idea of the initial lie, I think they call it, or the first lie. And if your first assumption is wrong, the model that is the back squat is going to yield the best benefits. Every other action after that is also wrong. It's the waterfall effect of errors. So if the first domino falls and it's going down the wrong path, they're all going to go down the wrong path. Or if you, you know, it's the extrapolate almost like a bow and arrow and you're going to shoot a target and the target's in front of you. And if you keep moving further and further back with distance being the time variable and you shoot a arrow and you have a slight air and your degrees, it's magnified by how far back you are. It's magnified by the number of decisions that you make after that one assumption or the number of times you make that same decision over the period of time. And so you have this uh, snowball effect of errors and then you have to sift through why all these other things don't make sense. You know, oh, was it was it my this accessory work or that accessory work? But really, it's the initial error. And what's so disheartening about that initial error is that all the time you spent after that initial error is kind of useless because the assumption model could have been resolved very quickly by making sure the first thing that you built the house off of the support base, the initial lie was not incorrect. And that's really important to consider. I think a lot of teams and sports and I've spoken with lots of college and professional teams. And it seems to be a very commonplace mistake. That initial assumption is so important. And so often people want to build everything as fast as they can that they don't evaluate their initial assumption. If your initial assumption is incorrect, everything you do after is technically incorrect because you're striving towards the wrong goal. Or you're, you know, if you're assuming X, like this is the best exercise, or you're assuming this framework or this model is how someone gets hurt. You're assuming this framework or this model is how someone develops a skill. And everything you do after that is going to be at least done incorrectly in terms of its assumptions. You won't know why or why not it worked because it might work. You might accidentally stumble across something that down the path of assumptions it actually works, but you don't know why. For example, as you might say, I think people learn their skills best when they practice the same shot over and over again. Okay. You might just have that uh, high, whatever you want to say, some framework from which someone builds a skill off. And then you might do a drill 
out of that that actually is beneficial, but you think it's beneficial for one reason versus another. And so you can't branch off that drill because if you think about that drill and the reason why you do that drill, it's going to be because of an assumption. You think going back to your initial assumption is based off of whatever charter and whatever you know hypothesis you have. And so you say, hmm, this one seems to work and it works because of X related to this assumption. But do another drill like it, it might work with another drill might not work because the other one's working for it's working correctly for the wrong reason, right? It's working, but it's not working how you thought it's working. And so you understanding um, why you're doing things, the initial framework and assumption you're working off of, and then all those exercises you do after that are built off of that hypothesis, that assumption, that framework. And because some or some and every exercise you have, right, it's going to be tied back to that. If you're like, oh, everything I do is going to be based on some ecological motor learning skill acquisition thing, then you do a certain drill that you think is ecological motor learning skill acquisition and you do it and it's successful, but it's successful because you're actually doing some other aspect within it that's beneficial, not because of the ecological motor learning skill thing, but because of some other thing, but you think it's because of that. Well, then your your uh, reasoning behind it is wrong. And so if you try to put a comp in, like a comparison exercise or comparison movement, and you're going to derive it from that same root value of ecological motor skill learning, and then you're going to place it and say, well, that worked, this should work. Well, it's not like, here's the example I'm trying to get to. Let's say you assume you're baking a cake and you make the assumption that all white colored ingredients are going to be beneficial for the cake's flavor. So it'd be like, flour it would be things like baking soda it'd be things like sugar and then that's great but then you might run into salt right oh my gosh that would make your cake taste horrible so your assumption was based on a color you said these ingredients are going to taste the best right okay so then you could draw comparisons and you say okay sugar whipped cream uh, vanilla frosting all these things are so far plausible but then if you keep making assumptions off of this model, you're eventually going to run into salt. And then you're going to taste it and go, oh, gross. So now you realize that your model is all wrong. It's not the color of the ingredients. It's the actual purpose of the ingredients and how they interact, the ratio. And you might start looking at, oh, it's not the ingredients. It's the utility. So uh, a cake and all is going to need to have um, certain parts within it. So it's going to have, you know, the actual flavor. It's going to have the actual cake texture, it's going to have the frosting. Within that, there are going to be parts, you know, that go into it and certain aspects of it. Um, and you start to learn. But if you just make the assumption that it's based on a whatever, like a color of an ingredient, and that's your first assumption, and then you have maybe some successes along the way, and but you're making, you're being successful for the reasons you don't even know. You keep thinking, oh, you know, the, the sugar tasted good. So then I had... Um, you know, the whipped cream tasted good and the whole milk actually is beneficial or the cream, whatever. I don't know how to make a cake, but you get the idea. Um, so it makes you wonder, makes you think. And then I don't want to go too long here. I'm already at my time mark. But the last thing I was thinking about, and this is no put down to anyone. I know there's lots of skills trainers out there. And I tweeted this the other day. I said, I wonder how many skills trainers actually read about motor learning. Um this is not a ding. It just seems like it's an industry for some reason that's been ignored. There is no schooling for skills trainers. There's schooling for strength and conditioning. 
the schooling for all this other stuff, but motor skill acquisition has no formal means of education. There isn't like a, oh, I went to school to become a better teacher of movements. That's not really a professional degree. And so it seems like this whole field of science is almost um, an accessory field where it's used in many different forms. Like you might use motor skill learning when you're trying to re-educate someone to walk again. You might use motor skill learning when you're trying to teach someone to shoot a jump shot. You might use it when you're teaching someone to lift weights. And it seems like this foundational knowledge that we should all have that we don't have, and especially those who are heavily in the field of motor skill acquisition. So I just kind of thought to myself, how many skills trainers actually read about motor learning? And why is that gap there? And it seems like, again, because there is no form of professional education. So I was curious if people uh, in that world would be more interested in learning that. And this is something I was chewing on. And maybe it's an idea I just kind of throw up there into the, the podcast sphere and see if I get any bites or discussions or people intrigued about it. But I was thinking about maybe I want to learn more about it. I know there's a great book about it. Rob Gray has an awesome podcast videos on it. But I was kind of curious, what, uh, you know, skills people think. Because it seems like I look across skills training, there's like a million different people trying to do a million different things from skills training. At least despite the infighting and strength and conditioning, there's a relative um, agreeance upon what kind of basic structure or program should be while skills training seems to be in its almost infancy. I love it too, because you have all this wealth of knowledge that's never, it seems to be never tapped into. I don't know. I'll leave it there for now. I appreciate you guys listening. I'm at my time length here. Hope you guys enjoyed. Take care and peace.